0: If we need, I'm I'm going to get some more ordered this week as well, uh, because I know we've got several families who are out. So Matthew chapter 5. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We are going to read beginning at verse 1 down through verse 12. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, who are before you may the lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word you may be seated thank you as believers by the way by way of introduction this is actually in all of my ministry the first series i've ever done in the gospels so it's probably going to be a little bit different it's certainly different from me I believe it's uh, it's a different type of preparation, not that I don't read the Bible or read commentaries, but uh, being able to try to understand what Jesus was actually saying, who is written to, etc., we're going to look at that over time as we go through this series. So I appreciate prayer that I will be able to rightly divide the Word of God and uh, that you will rightly be hearers of the Word of God as well as doers. Amen. As believers, we come to the first of two pivotal points in history. No events are more important, and without both of these events, mankind would be doomed to eternal punishment, forever apart from God and His holiness. Here we are, we are just three days after Thanksgiving, and the next event on the calendar is Christmas. Christmas. There are many who celebrate Christmas. In fact, Christmas is celebrated in some fashion or another in just about every country and territory in the world. Not necessarily by the governments, but it is celebrated. These two events are the first Advent, which is Christmas, and the second is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as we celebrate known as Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Now, there are many events that had to take place in order to have the written record of the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And this sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ is actually one of five main discourses that are given throughout the book of Matthew. The first one takes place in the northern part of Israel on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the book was written by the tax collector, Matthew, and it was intended as a way to show the Jews that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and King. I think we have Trenton. I think we've got a. if you could advance to the next slide here, please. The Beatitudes, one commentator quoted, describe the ideal disciple and his rewards, both present and future. The person whom Jesus describes in this passage has a different quality of character and lifestyle than those who are still outside the kingdom. We actually had a very good discussion this morning in the Sunday Bible class. And one of the things that we talked about was the matter of discipleship. When a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are there things that are going to change in your life and in mine? the answer is yes they have to just like a child who is born is going to grow up they can't live off of just milk neither can we who are believers in the lord jesus christ live off of just milk we come to a point where we have to have the meat of the word now, it's one of those passages that a lot of people don't like to, to like to hear about because the Lord Jesus Christ is actually speaking here later on to religious leaders, and, and he talks about things like anger and lust, and, and, and this is where we would interject maybe a little bit of an exam for you, because the Lord Jesus Christ knew that after 400 years of silence, approximately 430 years of silence, that... As these religious leaders have come on the scene, they are now talking about externalities. In other words, what does what do I look like as a believer in God? Am I a good person? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ says things like this that we will look at later on, Lord willing. He says, Do you, are you the kind of person who has never killed somebody? That's great but don't pat yourself on the back quite yet. Because Jesus continues and he tells them later on, he says this, if you have even been angry at somebody, it is the same as if you have murdered them. And then he talks about lust. And he says, it's great if you have not committed adultery. He said, but if you have even looked at another person with lustful thoughts in your heart, it is the same as if you have committed the sin. Now, we need to interject here, though, this does not mean that just because it has been in our mind that that gives us license somehow in order to be able to live that kind of a lifestyle. It doesn't mean, as Paul tells the Roman church in Romans chapter 6, shall we sin more that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. No, absolutely not. He is simply pointing out to them that the external things that they thought made them acceptable to God are not making them acceptable to God. In fact, all it is doing is covering up the fact that they are nothing more than a tomb full of dead bones that has been whitewashed. In Liberia and through a few other countries in West Africa, one of the main events that takes place there is the whitewashing of the graves. Now, you can imagine in a country that has no electricity apart. Well, it didn't when we lived there, apart from those who were able to, uh, uh, to, to, to be able to have some kind of a generator. They would bury the bodies in the graves, and you can imagine the jungle that, it, that surrounds these cemeteries, and they would just be completely overgrown. In fact, you could walk right by a cemetery, and you wouldn't know that it was a cemetery because it's just completely covered. It's fully overgrown inside of a year. But every year, on one day a year, the entire village, entire towns get together and they all go to the cemetery. Anybody here ever seen anything like this? Okay. And they all go to the cemetery and they will, first they will cut the grass. It's all done by hand. No mowers. They cut the grass. And then they begin to paint the tombs and they use whitewash. And they whitewash these tombs so that it looks good for one day out of the year. This is what Jesus is saying, the lives and the hearts of individuals are if Jesus Christ does not live and abide within you. He talks about oaths, he talks about divorce, he, he, he reminds us that he came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law, but to show us a better way as we find in the book of Hebrews. So the Beatitudes, though, are a way for us to be able to understand. And so you could ask yourself maybe questions like this. You could say, am I poor in spirit? Do I mourn? Am I comforted by the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I meek? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? As he will continue this thought pattern in Matthew chapter 6. Am I merciful? Am I pure in heart? Am I striving to be a peacemaker? Am I one of those who is blessed because I have been persecuted for righteousness' sake? Now, this is a hard one. I know some of us have talked about persecution, and I believe that it may come very well in our lifetime. And we don't like the thought of pain. We don't like the thought of suffering and struggling. And yet, there there are brothers and sisters around the world, even today, who are actually suffering and going through this, Today, But one of the things about persecution is that it always brings purity to the church of Jesus Christ, and it always brings growth. And then he concludes in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now this reviling and this this persecution here, you know, sometimes we go outside in the morning and if we've got a flat tire, we think we're being persecuted in some way or, or if we go up to the light and only three people got through the light before it turns red. That's not persecution we're talking about persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. In other words, is my testimony so strong before the world that as one person has said in the past, and maybe you have heard this, if I was put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Do you have enough evidence in your life? And and, and I shared this with the Sunday Bible class this morning. I said, listen, if you want to know whether you have changed or not, talk to those who are the closest to you and say, do I resemble the Lord Jesus Christ more today than I did yesterday or more like him today than I did five years ago or 10 years ago? But how did we come to Matthew chapter five? by the providence of God. One Christian author noted this by way of definition. The providence of God is the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. Now, normally on Advent, on the first Sunday, for those of you who keep track of that, isn't this first Advent Sunday? Is it, Or is it next Sunday? Next Sunday? Okay, well, you're getting the message a week early. Normally, when we come to Advent, what are, we, so what are some of the things that we look at? Some churches light candles. They have different candles that they light or, or different emblems that they use to be able to represent the different aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth. But very few people actually take the time to actually consider what it must have been like for Jesus to come to this earth. I want you to see firstly that Jesus Christ was born at the right time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. In the fullness of time, or when the fullness of time had come, Christ came. He came at the right time. He didn't come in the year 2021 or 2023. He came approximately 5 or 4 BC. Now, If I were to ask you a question, for example, in regards to the nativity, let's think from a Christmas perspective, since we're getting pretty close here for just a moment. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because maybe this might embarrass some of you when you find out the real answer. But I wanna ask you, think in your mind, when you see a nativity scene, for example, what are some of the things that you see? Is it biblical? Are the things that are represented there actually pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ came to die. For example, if you've seen a nativity scene, how many of you have actually seen any kind of a cross in a nativity scene? Doesn't generally happen, does it? Uh, What is something that you will see in just about every nativity scene? I'm sorry, baby, a wise man, okay, manger, Mary, Joseph, uh, do you realize the wise men weren't even there? A lot of people don't know that. The wise men actually didn't come until Jesus was actually living in a house with his mother, probably when he was about a year and a half, two years old. And he never, the wise men never met the shepherds. But we'll talk about that more later. Jesus Christ born at the right time. The gospel message begins for humanity. When God speaks to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He makes a promise in what is known in theological terms as the Proto-Evangelium. This simply means first evangelistic message of salvation. You see, before Adam and Eve even sinned, there was a plan that God had in place to be able to bring redemption to mankind. Genesis 3.15 is the first promise that is given by God after Adam's sin. And again, that God will save his people by sending the Messiah. He didn't wait for four or five thousand years in order for the cross to come. And and one day, a couple of prophets actually made a, a comment about somebody who had come, like Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah wrote speaking of the Messiah. No, right from the very beginning. In fact, we can go to Ephesians chapter one and we can realize that the Lord Jesus Christ knew from eternity past that he was going to be the sacrifice. But who was this new rabbi? This new rabbi who appeared on the scene, introduced by John the Baptist as he is walking across the hills of Judea and Galilee and as John is baptizing there in the water, He looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and he points and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Prophets had come. Prophets had gone. The leaders and the people, they knew that for over 430 years, God himself has been silent. There's not been one single prophet. The Babylonian Empire, come and gone. Darius, Cyrus, come and gone. The Greeks, come and gone. Rome, Rome was already kicked out once by the Maccabees and now they've come back again. But God himself had been silent. Can't help but wonder what it would be like if we didn't have the scriptures to be able to hear God's word directly to us. That's what it would have been like for the children of Israel. Captivity in the land of Babylon. They returned to the land, as we find in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, as an example. And this was followed by absolute turmoil, and now again under Rome's second occupation. We find, though, that secondly, Christ was born at the right place. Listen to Micah chapter 5. Let me just turn over there. Micah chapter five, and verse two. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, even from ancient days. Again, another prophet I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you have ever looked at the fulfillment of prophecy, it is said that for one man to be able to fulfill something like just 16 of the 300 and something prophecies that are found in the scriptures would be a one followed by 64 zeros just to be able to fulfill 16 prophecies. And yet Jesus Christ fulfilled almost 400 of them perfectly. Here's another example. Maybe you're not aware of this, but there are actually two different Bethlehems. One was Bethlehem Ephrata, and it was just barely inside the ancestral boundaries of the tribe of Judah. And the other Bethlehem is in the far north of Israel in the land that belonged to Naphtali. And yet this only confirms again that the writers of the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yet listen to what one or listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. He is speaking about Israel here. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone and again a prophecy which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ coming. Think about these each one of these points that we bring across to you this morning and what the what the odds would be of one person being able to fulfill all of this It's absolutely astronomical, that one person. And not just that these things lined up, just happened to line up at the right time. It was at the right place. Judea was at a crossroads for the entire world. It was the gateway from Egypt to many parts of Rome. And the Roman Empire actually encompassed from the cold, wet climate of Britannia down to the baked, parched desert of the Sahara, and then all the way across to what is now the country of Saudi Arabia. Anybody who controlled this access point then controlled the world. Even when it comes later on, as we will look at to the crucifixion, do you know that the Romans did not actually invent crucifixion? It was actually practiced some five or 600 years earlier by the Phoenicians, but it was perfected by Rome. And it was one of the only ways that Jesus Christ could actually have died and shed his blood. Further, it was the only way that Jesus could have been lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. John chapter 3. Number 3. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. Joseph was not the father. Contrary to some opinions, a Roman soldier wasn't the father. It wasn't that Mary had some kind of illicit relationship with somebody. No, the Lord Jesus Christ was, was born because the Holy Spirit came upon her and allowed God himself to take on human flesh and begin forming human a human body inside of Mary. You say, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth. Listen to what one commentator says about the virgin birth. The virgin birth is important and in that it preserves the truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. His physical body he received from Mary, but his eternal holy nature was his from all of eternity past. Joseph the carpenter didn't pass on his sinful nature to Jesus for the simple reason that Joseph was not the father. Jesus had no sin nature. Now there are some, and it's starting to creep into evangelicalism as well, and I've shared this with some of you before in the past, but there are some doctrines and there are some churches that actually teach that while Jesus did not sin, he could have sinned. And further, they state that Jesus Christ actually had a sin nature, and when he died, he had to descend into hell in order to suffer at the hands of the evil one, Satan, and his little minions, in order to be able to atone for your sin and mine. That is heresy. Jesus had no sin nature. Jesus had nothing to seek forgiveness for from the Father. He was perfect in every way. The virgin birth of Jesus is an example of God's gracious work on our behalf. God is the one who took the initiative. Mary was not looking to become pregnant. It was all God's idea. Joseph had no role in the conception, and his body was not involved, so the power had to come from God. In a similar way, our salvation is based solely on God's initiative and God's power. We did not seek after God, but he sought us. And we did nothing to earn our salvation, but we rely on God's power. The wonder of this is, this is why we have said, and we have given the example before of the two men who went to the temple. And The first one stands there, the religious leader, the Pharisee, and he stands there in front of all of the people, patting himself on the back about all the wonderful things that he has done. And the fact that he's not like this guy over here in the corner, and yet it's the guy in the corner, the tax collector, the publican, the sinner, who says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says it wasn't the righteous person who went down or the self-righteous person who went down to their house justified, it was the sinner. When I stand before you and I preach a message, I know what God has saved me from. I know what God has saved me to. I know where God has taken me one day for all of eternity. And I look forward to that day. And it's just a reminder. This is, this is why God gave the church. This is why we have people come and join the church. Not because it's like another club or it's some kind of a, a, a sporting association. No, it's the church of the living God. The church for which Jesus Christ died. Fourthly, Christ was born of the right tribe. Luke chapter 2, as well as Matthew, gives us the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you a couple of things. Maybe this might be of interest for you to do further study on later on. But in approximately 1700 BC, God gives a dying patriarch, Jacob, the ability to give a blessing to his children. Each one of them stand before him. But Judah is given some words that he would never understand, nor would any of his descendants for some 17 centuries. Listen to these words. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49 verses 8 through 12. Judah Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? If you have any doubts that this is the Lord Jesus Christ of which he is speaking, go read the book of Revelation, and you will find one who has dipped his garments in blood. But it wasn't just any tribe. It could have been any one of them to the birthright, or the birthright actually belonged to Reuben. But it is through Judah that God is going to bring the Messiah. But there were a few false assumptions that were actually given as we look at this, John chapter 1, verse 46, this is the first false assumption. Andrew has found Simon, his brother, and then he calls Philip and Nathanael. And Philip talks to Nathanael, and he says, We have found him of whom Moses is in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael says to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Later on, John chapter 7 and verse 52. John 7, 52. They're speaking to Jesus, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they say to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, that was very interesting because there were actually three prophets who were from Galilee. Number one was Elijah. Do you remember Elijah showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus is transfigured before the disciples, and and as he is standing there before him, or before them, Elijah comes representing the prophets, and Moses appears representing the law. And a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my beloved son. Now hear him. Secondly, we have Nahum. If you're still turning with me, turn with me back to the book of Nahum. In the Old Testament, if you found Micah before, it's just one book later. And Nahum was from the area of Galilee. And listen to what he says in a few verses. Nahum's name, by the way, means comforter. Listen to the comfort that he provides. Verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. We find in verse 12, thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And here we find the comfort that there will one day be an end to God's discipline. Listen to verse 13. And now I will break his yoke from off of you and will burst your bonds apart. And here we find the end to all oppressors, oppressors and oppression. But listen to verse 15. Nahum 1.15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, Keep your feasts so Judah fulfill your vows for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Do you remember what Paul told the church in Rome? How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good good tidings of Jesus Christ. And then we had a third one and that was Jonah. Jonah, the only sign given by Jesus authenticating both the life and the events, and the work of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, the whale, whatever you want to call it, just as Jonah was there, so too will Jesus Christ be in the heart of the earth for three days. Jesus Christ said that it was an event that took place, and we have to believe it if we take all of God's word as factual so while Jesus Christ was not from Nazareth. He lived there and began his ministry from this location. And it is from here in Nazareth that he would have been then gone to the Mount of Beatitudes. I think I put some of these in the wrong order. Let's, let's go back just a moment here on some of these. I think we missed one. Go back to the timeline. This would have been a very, yes, here we go. Travel time. Here's a picture of Israel, and I want you to notice that to go from Nazareth, which is up near the top of the arrows and the lines that are at the very top, to go from here down to Bethlehem. This is very important because it was another prophecy that was fulfilled. Because when he goes to Bethlehem, why did he go to Bethlehem? Because they were being taxed. The tax And the the census that was taking place was actually issued by one of the Caesars in B.C. 7. So it would have taken about a year and a half to even get to this point. For the word to spread, for the soldiers to come, for the census to be carried out, and for the men to be told that they had to go to their homeland. So it would have taken a week approximately to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay, and the next one. Bethlehem to Jerusalem was only about three hours, so we know what took place eight days after the circumcision of the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? Okay, and then we find that the, go ahead and go to the next one, and we find that Bethlehem to Egypt, this would have been to the nearest point of where Egypt would have been located or the boundary of Egypt would have taken a week as much as two weeks if they went as far as the land of Goshen. Now, when they are going down to Egypt, why are they going down to Egypt? It's because they are trying to escape for the life of Jesus Christ, because all of the babies, two years old and under, all the male children would be would be uh, killed. And so then while they're down in Egypt, they live there for a couple of years. Herod is replaced by his son. His son is not nearly as wicked and depraved as what his father was, and they come back again. And then it would have taken, last one here, to go from Egypt back up to nazareth would have taken about two weeks now again every one of these steps along the way we have often said is i believe it was hudson taylor who said where god guides god provides all along the way god has ordered the steps every person that crosses the path of the lord jesus christ every person who crosses the path of mary and joseph every one of them are there for a purpose and just as it was for the lord jesus christ so too our God is there for you. Let's go ahead and go forward now, son. This would have been roughly what it would have looked like going down through the desert to be able to get to the land of Egypt. Keep going. This would have been the approximate path. You can see Nazareth all the way up at the top here, coming down to Jerusalem, down into Bethlehem, and then over to what is known as Gaza now. And then all the way down flight into Egypt. Okay. Here's a representation of what Nazareth would have looked like. This is the hometown of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he actually was raised. He would have served with his father, go ahead and go to the next one or with Joseph, and this is simply a replica or reproduction of what a carpenter shop would have looked like there in Nazareth. I don't know if any of you have ever been able to go to Israel. That would be a great trip to be able to make, not necessarily right now, um, but that would be a very interesting trip to make to be able to see these things and to be able to walk where Jesus walked. So finally this morning, Christ was born for the right purpose. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to end this morning. Matthew chapter 1. And I want you to notice two verses. We find the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of this, an angel comes and he's speaking to Joseph. And he says this, Take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of these things coming together for one purpose, and that is so Jesus would die. That's it. It's not to give us tinsel on the tree. It's not to give us gifts underneath the tree. It's not for Santa Claus. It's because Christ came to die. Listen to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What an incredible story. What an incredible account of of what the Lord Jesus Christ has gone through. Can, Can you imagine? I mean, some of the old ancient peoples like the Greeks and the Persians and even the Romans, they all had their stories of the demigods. Nobody had a story like this. That God himself would be willing to come off of his throne to leave all of his glory behind as he did and to be able to come to this earth so that he might die. While Moses was not given to the children of Israel in order to bring them closer in any way to Yahweh, the law was given so that they might see how far they were from the holiness of God. And that apart from a mediator who would one day come, they were without hope. All of those in the Old Testament looked forward to the new when Jesus would come. They had no idea when it would be. And apart from the mercy of God, the only thing they could hope for was judgment. In like manner, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes to this sin-cursed world. He's given by the Father. But there is a difference, as the writer of Hebrews points out a few decades later. The law and person of Christ is is better than anything that has ever come before. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the kingship, the line of David. He is the fulfillment of the priesthood. And he is not just a high priest, but he is our great high priest. And it is in him, as Colossians chapter 1 says, it is in him that dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is and was and always will be God. It is because the Son was obedient to the Father that we have eternal life. While the Beatitudes are Path for those who are true Christian disciples, we are called ultimately to salvation and then to sanctification. And if you know not Christ this morning, then may today be the day that you call on Him for mercy, to call on Him to forgive you of your sins. But if you're a believer, and if you have not been walking with Him, repent. Begin a fresh walk with the one who is the master of your life. I can assure you that as as we look through these next few, few messages in this series on the Beatitude, there are going to be some things in there that are kind of gonna that will convict your heart and mind. They're gonna make us look deep down within us and say, Hey, are we really changing? Are we really becoming like Jesus Christ? So, like every person down through history we're gonna have a couple of choices. We're either going to follow God, we're gonna do His will, His way, we're gonna walk with Him, striving to be perfect, because Jesus Christ is perfect. We're gonna strive to be holy because we are commanded, be holy for I am holy. Or we're gonna walk away, or you're gonna walk away from all that is right. So as we prepare for the Beatitudes, there really are only are two groups of people in this world, those who are blessed and those who aren't. There's no in-between. There's those who are lost and those who are saved. There are those who, as Jesus Christ says in one of his final sermons, he's going to say, depart from me, and he's going to send the goats to the left, and he's going to send the sheep to the right. You say a God, a loving God, would never do those things. If God was not love, he would not have sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He would never have made it possible for that gap to be restored, to to be able to create in you a brand new life, to make you a new creation, to take something that is absolutely dead and put new life in you. That is the wonder of the God we serve this is the wonder of biblical christianity no other religion in the world has nothing to do with denominations this is the only truth that you will hear in the entire world that will redeem your soul and it's not exclusive to yellowstone baptist church there are other churches around the world maybe even in here in cheyenne that are preaching this truth but i can assure you there are very few And my prayer is that you will take and heed the words and realize in the providence of god at the right time he came not only did he come at the right time but if you're a believer this morning he came to you in your life when you needed him let's pray father i am thankful for your word i'm thankful for being able to see a little bit of an introduction Leading up to where we will see Jesus walk up the Mount of Beatitudes as he is surrounded by his disciples and by those who are there in the northern part of Galilee. And he's going to give them some truths that they're not going to like. He's going to tell them some things that they need to hear. And just as it is today, these same truths need to be heard. Lord, if there is anything within us that keeps us from walking with you rightly today, I pray that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse our hearts as David prayed in Psalm 51, that you would look and see if there is any wicked way within us, that you would restore the joy of our salvation. Lord, there are many who claim to be a Christian, there are many who claim to know about God or even to believe in him, and yet their heart is far from him. May today be the day of salvation for them. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word this morning. May it encourage each one of us to go and to be able to examine the scriptures to see whether these things are true or not. You could not have come at another time. You could not have been born in a different tribe. This is what makes you unique. And not only that, Lord, but one day you came, you started your ministry, you ended your ministry by being put to death on the cross, dying, being laid in a borrowed tomb, and then raised on the third day. No other God has ever done that or ever will. So we thank you, Lord, for eternal life, for being able to know you and have a personal relationship with the God of all creation. He ask us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.